0: guys heard the term GMO when it comes to food? Yes. Okay. Well, for, for any, that, any that haven't, uh, GMO is short for genetically modified organisms. And, and in food production, uh, the term is used to describe uh, crops that have been bioengineered in some kind of way or, or shape or form when scientists actually remove uh, one of the genes uh, from the DNA of another organism and recombine them with the DNA of a plant uh, that they wanna alter and, and the object of that being to give that plant uh, some specific characteristics that it doesn't already have naturally. Whether that's to create higher yields or better insect resistance or improved taste, you, you name it. And, and that sounds like a good thing, uh, but the problem is there's so much that we don't know yet about the long-term health effects of genetically modified foods on both humans and their impact on the environment Uh, we may be heading into some pretty dangerous territory uh, for both. When the people out there, you know, with all these big brains and all their bright ideas start messing with the natural order of God's creation. So just just in my opinion, when it comes to food, my advice is keep it all natural. Uh, However, as you're about to see, uh, that advice isn't good when it comes to the spiritual side of life, where, uh, as the Bible is about to tell us today through the pen of the Apostle Paul, when it comes to the natural state of mankind, we need a whole lot more than just a little modification. We need a complete remake, uh, and one that only God can do. So we're continuing our, our series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're in, made it to chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll be reading you the first 16 verses. And listen now for the voice of the Spirit. This is Paul writing and he said when I came to you brothers I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but with demonstrations of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Thanks be to God. So, Father God, now that your word has been read, heard, we ask you would lend to it the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might see your Son exposed in it, Father, because that's what we're here to see and do. And we thank you for all that you're about to reveal to us by that Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So, you know, just as a kind of a brief review of what's been going on in this church in Corinth, if you remember, the people of the church, instead of centering around the word of God and the saving power of the cross, had instead divided themselves into groups over all kinds of secondary issues, with each one of them claiming the wisdom and instruction of a favorite teacher. And then how very naturally, when that kind of thing happens, came the backbiting. And the gossip and the slander that served only to make the schism in the church even sharper. Until as one commentator suggested, he said, instead of having the mind of Christ dwelling in them there, they descended into hatred and envy. And so Paul's calling on them to get their act together. And he's asking them rhetorically, as we saw two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians one thirteen, He says, is Christ divided? With the obvious answer being, of course not. And so then he says, neither should the church be. Neither should that true church be because the church is the unified body of Christ with him firmly established as his head. And then with that established, Paul moves on with instructions as to how to put things right again. And the first instruction he gives, if you remember, is concerning the preachers and their preaching that we covered last week. As the apostle spoke of our presentation of the gospel as the power of God unto salvation. Such that the influence and the authority that it possesses comes not from the speaker, but instead like that of the kingdom herald, whose job it is to gather an audience and to broadcast the good news from the throne. The preacher needs concern himself only with faithfulness to his master and to his master's message. And so those who preach shouldn't be out to promote themselves, but to promote the word of God. And now today, Paul turns his attention to to you guys, to the listeners. to to the hearers of the word preached. And he starts to draw a really sharp distinction between we who listen to the preaching of the gospel with spiritual ears and those who only listen with the natural ear. Reminding us really that the message of the gospel is the wisdom and the power of God, but it works only in the hearts of people into whom Christ sends forth his spirit. And it's to those alone who God reveals the things of the kingdom of heaven. So, So that the natural man can sit right beside the spiritual one hear the very same things and yet not believe. Here's how Paul says it. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they're what? Spiritually Spiritually discerned. Theologian Dr. Henry Morris explains it like this. He says the natural man still unsaved cannot appreciate spiritual truth. He must first understand Christ's atoning sacrifice for him. But even that is foolishness to him until the Holy Spirit himself convicts him of that reality. And you know, and I can tell you from experience that uh, a whole lot of people buck at this spiritual reality because they want to believe that they have some kind of say or some kind of part in the accomplishment of their own salvation. And if you don't believe me, just try sharing the Reformed doctrines of grace with some of your mainline denominational Christian friends and watch how quickly the arguments start, right? And this may be the same people that love to sing those great old hymns, you know, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, and... Uh, all the matchless grace of Jesus and grace greater than our sins. But but just try telling one of them that they didn't choose Christ, but Christ chose them. And see what happens. Amen. Because sadly, even within the walls of Christendom, many have fallen for the worldly humanist lie that all people are basically good and capable of making godly choices. And then by extension, that if we just give people the right education and good examples and more economic resources that they will then follow somehow the right path. And those things are good in and of themselves, but church, all the resources in the world are powerless to change the unregenerate heart. Because right? it's still stuck in its natural bent in rebellion against God. And again, as I've said so many times already in this series, you don't have to take my word for that. You don't even have to take the Apostle Paul's word for it because this is the teaching of Jesus Christ himself, who said so very clearly to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, he said, the flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Because right? the Bible is clear that outside of Christ, we are, we're not sick in sin, and we're not disabled in sin, or merely disadvantaged in sin, but we are dead. And can, in the words of one author, no more draw near to God than a corpse can summon the strength to get out of its grave. And so the supernatural work of God is to change the natural man into the spiritual one. And and so basically to do to a person kind of like what that bioengineer does with those plants. And he he removes the the natural, inborn, sinful, broken, hell-bent genes in someone and replaces them with the spiritual influence of himself and of his word. So that they are now something completely new and able to be increasingly resistant to sin. And to be improved for service. And to be able to produce a yield for the kingdom as one able to, in the words of Mark chapter 4, to hear the word and accept it. And to bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. But just don't expect those who aren't believers to understand what it is that you're on about, because they can't. And they won't. And that reality, sadly, uh, it shows up in everything they do. And you don't have to look any further than the politics of the upcoming election cycle to see that on full display. And, and I know occasionally I've been criticized for being a little too political, but I'm okay with that. Because the truth is that if Jesus Christ is Lord, then he's Lord over who you vote for. Amen. Right? Which means, as a believer, you have no business voting for candidates that hate the true church of Jesus Christ and everything she stands for. Right. Because quite honestly, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ... But you vote for a candidate that supports abortion over adoption or Islam over Israel or homosexuality over holy matrimony or transgenderism over biological reality or socialism over Christian stewardship. Not only are you not being a consistent Christian witness, you have compromised your faith and you are aligning yourself with the enemy. Because why, it is it, well, very true that God does not lend his blanket endorsement to any political party. Uh, But I can promise you that the devil and his demons do. And so, for that and for all kinds of reasons, we as believers need to be reawakened and we need to be reattuned to the spiritual wisdom of God in the salvific work of the cross. And we got to start calling these things out. And we have to do it head on. Because too much of the time our faith has become shallow and self centered and self-seeking it's all it's all show and fluff and only succeeds in satisfying our felt emotional needs or maybe some misplaced guilt without ever actually calling us to live out our lives in covenant with or real commitment to God in church that's sad and that's just wrong because we should be growing spiritually We should be living out our faith in this world and in the marketplace of ideas, and we should be developing a deeper individual relationship with Jesus. And you know what? Bible-believing churches should be at full capacity and having to do three services, right? But that's not happening because to do that takes a hard look at ourselves first. And it takes a personal heart move to repentance. And not just repentance for our own personal sins, as important as that is, but for the sins of our nation. And, church, that's not going to happen if we keep ourselves too distant from the problem. Or, worse yet, if we pretend like none exists. Especially within the walls of the American church. Whereas one author has said, there is this modern, new age, bloodless gospel being preached all over the world today by many so called Christians. Which instead of exalting Jesus, the suffering Savior, instead replaces it with a humanistic self-atonement dependent on our own works and merits. Making salvation attainable by what man does for God, rather than by what God did for man. Or listen to how Jesus put himself in Matthew 15. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. But you know, that kind of hard-hitting message of personal and national repentance has all but disappeared from our 21st century pulpits. Because let's be honest, it doesn't win many friends or fill many seats, does it, Brother Mike? Right? You found out the hard way. He got got asked not to do vespers at uh, Betmar. Betmar because he preached the gospel. And he got asked not to come back, but that's okay. Right? You preach the truth. Right? But this doesn't win friends and it doesn't fill seats. But you know what? The truth rarely does. Because the truth is, as we said in Sunday school this morning, the teaching of the cross is offensive. It is offensive because the cross calls us to die to ourselves and to offer up all that we are to the glory of God who has justified us by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and his death on our behalf. Because that's where the unique revelation of the fullness of God's divine nature is laid completely bare with no facade or pretense. That God is just. And so he must condemn the hypocrisy of our sins. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God is love and so he becomes a man. He becomes the God man in the person of Jesus who lives a perfect sinless life and goes to the cross where all of the justice and wrath of God that I deserve was thrown down on him instead. So that he could credit me with his perfect Righteousness. And the cross is also the place where we go to learn to stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting in God. So that we become truly spiritual men and women. And not like those, you know, there's people out there you meet nowadays that say goofy things like, "Oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, right? Well, guess what? Demons are spirits too. So you got to be a little more specific, right? No, we want to be men and women infused by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And so Paul, Paul says today, now we have received not the spirit of the world, But the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit of God, interpreting spiritual truths to those that are spiritual. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have what? The mind of Christ. And by having the mind of Christ here... I think Paul means three things primarily. I think he means understanding Christ's plan. I think he means acknowledging Christ's purpose. And I think he means sharing Christ's perspective. So just just by way of application. So as far as what's Christ's plan? Well, his plan as a member of the eternal trinity is in union with the Father and the Spirit first and foremost to bring glory to himself. That's the plan. And it's a theme that's repeated over and over and over in Scripture. That this cosmos and all the creatures in it were made for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to glorify God. All the way back in Isaiah where we've been in Sunday Bible study. When God promises to rescue his chosen people. He, He calls out, he says to my sons from afar. And my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. And church, is not just Israel whom God created for his glory, but everything. It's why the New Testament says again and again things like whether you eat or a drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Or, or the, in the, the gospel said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. And don't get this twisted. This is not, this is not about us doing God a favor to boost his ego. Church, this is about getting in line with the direction that the universe is headed or risk getting left behind. And I don't have really the the time that it would take to delve into it right now as deeply as we could. But just just so you understand, when God says that he created us for his glory, it doesn't mean that he created us so that he could become more glorious. Or that his beauty and his perfection would somehow be increased by us. But rather the cosmos and the creatures that he made became the canvas onto which that inherent glory gets displayed. And when we forget that is when we get enticed by the vain philosophies of this world that put us at the center of it instead of God. Who who through his planned glorification intends for the salvation of sinners as he restores the cosmos to its original order and perfection. And that's when, secondly, we come to the purpose. And we know Christ's purpose because he told us what it was in Luke 19.10 when he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then thirdly, once we have the plan and then we have the purpose revealed to us by the infusion of the Holy Spirit, we gain more and more of our Lord's perspective of everything that we see around us. We start to recognize Jesus' perspective in our lives on humility and obedience. Like the Bible says in Philippians 2, we should have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And, And we also get his perspective on compassion for the lost, from like Matthew chapter 9, it says when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we begin to share Jesus' perspective from Luke chapter 5 on prayerful dependence on God because it, the, the scriptures talk about seeing him often withdraw to desolate places to pray. And with all of those things drawing together to demonstrate that those with the mind of Christ stand in sharp contrast to the wisdom of humanity. Because it involves wisdom from God that was once hidden, but now revealed. Revealed to believers by the Holy Spirit of God and not able to be understood by those without Him. And all of this leading to the inevitable question we need to ask ourselves today, do we have the mind of Christ? Individually. Do Do we want not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind? Do, do you feel the Holy Spirit's urging to break loose from compromise with the world? Do you have the godly longing to be made new from the inside out? Do you find yourself more and more wanting to be free from mere duty-driven Christianity and find yourself doing what you know God wants just because you love to do it? Rather than doing it because you think you ought to or because you're afraid not to. So that the overarching goal of your life then now becomes a spiritual act of worship that seeks to display the worth of Christ above everything else. That's the goal. And as believers, that's our great hope. And, and, and no, ha- having the mind of Christ is not something that's reserved only for perfect people. Right? We are all at different places on the path to sanctification. But Paul is clear today that any and every believer has access to the mind of Christ through faith. But we've got to put it to use. That's why the rest of that advice from Paul on having renewed minds, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. As this proceeds to unfold over a whole lifetime for us, under the watchful eye of a loving, faithful God, and saying in the words of Scripture, being confident in this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, if you are in Christ today, brothers and sisters, rest in that truth. And let it give you peace, but not peace to the point of inaction. action. Let it be the basis of a firm foundation to share your faith with confidence and with conviction. And if, if you're not, if, if you're still outside of the faith this morning... Uh, you know if everything you've just heard me say either bored you to tears or made as much sense to you as a screen door on a submarine uh, it's it's still not too late for you right the Bible says today is the day to be saved it's still not too late today might just be your day to be saved perhaps God in his sovereignty brought you here today Or he tunes you in to hear this message online to have your soul spiritually modified by his saving power. And so I say to you then today, if the Holy Spirit gives you ears to hear, repent and believe the gospel. Put your faith and your trust wholly in Christ's saving work. Cast yourself entirely on him. And the Bible says you will be saved. But don't wait, because I can't promise that this opportunity will come around to you again. Do it today in Jesus name. Will you pray with me? Father, God, come now by your Holy Spirit and and call new sheep into the fold today. Give that perfect wisdom from above that only comes from and by you. uh, And glorify yourself today, Father, in the extension of your kingdom through Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen.